In today's culture, it's easy to become obsessed with temporal things. We want instant gratification, and we don't want to be bothered with the future, much less eternity. However, as David Platt will remind us today from Psalm 90, we serve a God who is eternal. His perfections, His justice, His love, wrath, faithfulness, grace, had no beginning, and they will have no end. Welcome to The Radical with David Platt Podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt, delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands more free resources at Radical.net. The biblical truth of God's eternality should help us live every day for what really counts in this life. Sin is more serious than we ever realized, but God's grace is greater than we ever imagined. The fact that our God is unchanging is very good news for those who have trusted in His Son. Here's David Platt with a sermon titled, Behold His Eternality, from Psalm 90. It is good to be back with you. I have so missed being here the last couple of weeks. Thank you for praying for me and my time in Brazil. So just a short report. I, uh, I started in the remote regions of the Amazon, which was an adventure to say the least. So there's a reason not a lot of people live in the Amazon. Uh, I, I would probably describe it as the most aggressive environment that I've ever been in. So, so we, we rode down the Amazon River on, on a boat and then uh, got some offshoot tributaries, picked up a couple of guides from an unreached people group there, and then they led us into the rainforest. And as soon as you walk into that canopy of trees, you are immediately greeted by a swarm of creatures that you didn't know existed before then. Like you thought you knew bugs and insects until you, you get there and they are all ready to feast on you. Uh, so I'm, I'm wearing a long pants shirt, but somehow they find their way through those clothes and just bite. And, and you can spray DEET all over you, but these, these creatures eat DEET for breakfast. Like... <laughs> <laughs> But, but here, I, I can deal with small, smaller creatures. My larger concern were the jaguars and venomous snakes that I had read about. So our guides, they were, they were trying to encourage us as we were hiking during the day. They said, no, don't, don't worry. Those animals sleep at night uh, or sleep during the day. They only come out at night, which was encouraging until I thought about it. I, uh, oh, so the most deadly animals come out at the time when I'm least conscious in the Amazon. Not, not particularly encouraging. So you would lay down at night in this hammock because you don't, you don't sleep on the ground. You don't, you don't want to be on the ground. Too many creatures, spiders, tarantulas. Uh, so you're in this hammock between two trees. So you, you crawl into this hammock and you, you have this mosquito net over, over you that you put over you. You kind of cinch up behind you. So you're cuddled up in this cocoon and uh, and you can hear noises, uh, just all kinds of noises. You got howler monkeys, and these are, they're all around. And you realize, okay, this mosquito net's nice. Like, it's, it's protecting me from the bugs, but it is no defense against a jaguar. So, uh, so you just, it's, it is a sanctifying experience as, uh, <laughs> as you just start to fall asleep. And you're just like, Lord, I just pray. And we should pray this every night, like... He sustains us all. He did last night, but it's just different when you're in the Amazon. You're just like, Lord, the only way I can wake up in the morning is if you 
wake me up in the morning. So I just, I would love to wake up in the morning. And so you fall asleep and you wake up, you're like, ah, I'm breathing. Ah. So, uh, so that was now, now the best part of the Amazon though. So at night, uh, we were spending time with these guides, um, but at night we'd gather around the campfire and uh, they would share a couple stories from their ancestry, which was fascinating. But then they would ask us to share a couple stories. So uh, that first night I just shared some stories from Mark 4 and 5 about Jesus and how Jesus is the one true God. And he came to the earth and he has power over nature and he has power over evil spirits and Jesus has power over disease and Jesus has power over death itself. And so I share those stories. Well, the next night when we get around the campfire, uh, they, they say, those stories you were telling us about Jesus last night, we've never heard these things before. Our tribes, our villages never heard them. We want to tell them stories. Can you tell us more so that we can know them and tell them more? Uh, yes, we can. And so we start sharing stories. And one of the guides said, and this is all through a translator, of course, but he, he said, uh, he said, when you tell these stories, it's like my heart just starts beating out of my chest. I mean, you could see the spirit working. Well, you can't see anything else. It's pitch black. So you can see the spirit working in their hearts. And so the, the, our last night with those guides, um, we're, we're sitting around talking and said, hey, we've shared some stories. Do you have any questions? And this one guide, he said, uh, he said, as you tell these stories about the one true God, I just feel like in my heart I've done so much wrong against him. Is there any way to get rid of that feeling? I was like, well, that's a great question. Yes, there is. And so just to share the gospel. Uh, and then the other guy, as soon as we start sharing that, he starts saying, well, if, if we believe in Jesus... That would be turning against even what all of our ancestors have believed. Like you could tell he's counting the cost of following Christ. And so that's, that's where we left it. Unfortunately, they didn't say, okay, we're ready to believe that. But I am convinced those guides are on the verge of trusting in Christ. We've never even heard the gospel in just remote regions of the Amazon. So we went from there, then down into the, the mega city of Sao Paulo. I think there was a video last week uh, from there where I was spending time with pastors and church leaders, about a thousand pastors, church leaders at a conference there where uh, they're talking about making disciples, multiplying churches. And it was so encouraging, even just to see the ministry they're doing. So uh, this one snapshot, uh, we go into this one area of uh, the city of Sao Paulo, one of the largest cities in the world. Um, and this area, it's called... They call it Crackolangia, which means land of crack. Um, so basically what the Brazilian government has done is they have quarantined off certain parts of the city for people who are addicted to crack just to kind of isolate them there. And so uh, just, to, just imagine, uh, and it's surrounded by, by police um, because they don't want those people to get out and uh, affect the communities around them. And, and, and so it's, and it's not a safe place to hang out um, in the middle of that. So, so we're, we're in there and uh, just, just imagine a city square and everywhere you look, like people lying on the streets, sitting there, walking around, everybody is totally addicted to Christ, just uh, given over physically, intellectually, emotionally to drugs in this way. And so I feel like I've seen a, a good number of things in the world, but it was one of the most hopeless scenes I've ever walked through until, say hopeless, until we get to the edge. So we spend time there, but then we walk through and we get to the edge where there's uh, these pastors have set up a ministry. They call it Christalangia, land of Christ. And, 
And so I walk into this, it's this long building uh, room, uh, very narrow. There's room for about uh, rows of chairs, about four or five wide on each side. And it's full of people who are sitting there. This is in the morning, early in the morning. And it's people who've come off of, out of Krakalunja just to the outskirts there where they can go. And, and they're sitting in there. They're gonna have breakfast. There's breakfast that's provided through this ministry. But before breakfast happens, uh, they proclaim the gospel. And so there's music. And then they ask me just to preach. And so just proclaim the power of Christ to free us from bondage to so many things in this world. And just say, if you wanna turn from crack and trust in Christ today, like you can. And, and just invited people to come down to the front. About 10, 15 people come down to the front. We pray over them. And, uh, and that will begin a process for those 10 or 15 people. Over the next two years, this ministry has a whole two-year program process they walk through where they'll, they'll come off of just not just that physical addiction, but see the power of the gospel to transform their lives. And so what, what was so encouraging, so uh, after that, we were at this conference, and uh, one night, uh, some uh, men and women who have now are in the middle of that process, so just a few months removed from being on the streets in the middle of the land of crack, they came and they led worship one night. I just want to show you a quick video clip. So this video clip, it'll show you a picture. Just keep in mind, when you watch this video, every person you see on this stage, every face you see, every person just months before this was totally strung out on crack on the streets of Brazil. Watch this with me. Those shirts they're wearing on the front, they say, uh, Jesus transforms. So, uh, so just two takeaways from Brazil's that I, Brazil that I would just encourage you with. Well, one, this gospel is good. It, the gospel has power to transform lives from the Amazon jungle to the urban jungle. This gospel is good. And then two, just even on a, on a more personal level, just reflecting on God's mercy. I, I think about when I was... Uh, so after a preach, we pray for these people in that, that particular place uh, in Christalangia, like uh, we start handing out food to those who are still sitting there. And I'm just walking person to person, handing out food, looking in their eyes. And I, I just about lose it, just emotionally about lose it. Uh, and I'm just telling myself, don't lose it. This would not be good for ministry to these people. But like, just so overwhelmed. Uh, so here's the thought that hit me. I just realized that the only thing that separates me from being in one of those seats is the mercy of God. I have no other explanation uh, for why I'm not there than the mercy of God in in my life. And and this is what unites us in this room. So it's, it's 
By no means because any one of us in here is better or smarter or more anything than anyone else in the world. What unites us in this room is the mercy of God and the power of the gospel to transform our lives. And we want to make this gospel known, don't we? Like, oh, McLean, may God use us to make the gospel known in this city. May, may there be faces like that all over Washington as a result of God's grace and work in this church. People addicted to drugs in this city. Let's show the power of the gospel to transform their lives. And then from this city to the ends of the earth, from remote rainforests to the mega cities of the world, may our lives, may our family, may our church show the power of the gospel and spread the glory of our God. Which is the whole point. That was so great. So seeing those crack addicts, former crack addicts, just giving glory to God. That's, that's the whole point of the series we're walking through. Like beholding God's glory. We want to be a church. We want to be a people who know and spread the glory of God. Right? Because this is where life is found. And knowing God and glorifying God as Mike and Dale have led us over the last couple of weeks to rest last week in the sovereign rule of God and reign of God over all things. As Dale, well, excuse me, Sergeant Reverend Dale. <laughs> That's absurd. So, uh... <laughs> As he, uh, anyways, he led us to see last week, like to behold God's sovereignty and then to see God in all of his holiness. What was that line from Mark, Mike, Mike's sermon? I wrote it down. Mike said, we have a diminished view of life because we have a distorted view of God. Uh, the greatest need in your life, in my life, right now is a right view of God and his glory. So over the next few weeks, what I want us to do is I want to talk about a few attributes of God that we don't talk about a lot to our detriment. And today, we're going to start with the eternality of God. So we heard Psalm 90 just a few minutes ago, one of the clearest pictures in God's word of the eternal nature of God. So Psalm 90, interestingly, is the, it's the oldest psalm we have. So it's written by Moses. Many of our psalms written by David and kind of that area of God's people and the history of God's people. Psalm 90, written by Moses many years before that, when the people of God were wandering in the wilderness. And there's so much here. There's so much we need to hear. Our lives are so consumed with the temporary. And with what matters today? We're, we're, we're a busy people, right? Hey, how are things going? That's ah, pretty busy. So we, we all say that. Or we're focused on, even worried about, all we have to do today. We're focused, so focused on the moment. We live in a culture that lauds pleasure in the moment. We want immediate, instant gratification. We are intoxicated by the temporary, by what's happening today in such a way that we quickly become blind to what's going to matter 10 trillion years from now. We, we don't think a lot each day about what's going to matter 10 trillion years from now. And life changes when you think like that. And the nature of God beckons us to think like that. So what I want to do, I want to show you four truths here in Psalm 90. And each one of them kind of builds on the other. So we'll see one truth and we'll realize, whoa, if that's true, then this is true. And wait, if that's true, then this is true. Just kind of build on each of them in a way that would then lead to some massive implications from this psalm written thousands of years ago for the way we live today. So follow with me here in Psalm 90. So truth number one, 
If you're taking notes, truth number one, God is eternally glorious. God is eternally glorious. That is clear in Psalm 90 from the very beginning. You just look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, listen to this language, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, before creation, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. What what does that mean? We We don't talk like that. From everlasting to everlasting. Well, we say from beginning to end. But that's just it. We, we can't really talk that way about God because God has no beginning. How old is God? Is a wholly inappropriate question. I mentioned this with my kids. When my four-year-old son over here asked me, Daddy, how old is God? My answer, buddy, God is as old today as he ever was. I said, does that make sense to you, buddy? He says, no. I say, me either. God is so different from us. And buddy, you and I had a beginning. There was a day when we weren't. I'll tell, I'll tell him, when I was born 39 years ago, buddy, you didn't exist. And 40 years ago, I didn't exist either. But one day I was born. On another day, you were born. Now you're four years old. I'm 39 years old. But God isn't a certain age because he was never born. He doesn't have a beginning. And even more mind-boggling, buddy, God has no end. He's so different from us. Verse 3, man returns to dust. We die, but not God. God has no end. And then verse 4 talks about God and time. This will really give you a headache if you think about it. How does God relate to time? What Psalm 90 is teaching is that God is Lord over time. Whereas we exist in time, God exists beyond time. Isaiah 57, 15 says that God inhabits eternity in such a way that a thousand years, verse four, are like a day, like a few hour watch in the night in the eyes of God. Think about that. Think about all that happens in a thousand years. Generation after generation after generation, the rise of empires, the fall of empires, the rise of new empires, the fall of those empires, on and on and on. Formation, reformation, counter-reformation. A thousand years of history for man are like a few hours in the night for God. You just think about our country. We've existed for less than 250 years. That's a matter of mere minutes in God's perspective. Our God is Lord over time and God is unchanging throughout time. From everlasting to everlasting, God is God. And his attributes do not change with time. Our attributes change with time. The way we look changes over time. The way we think changes over time. We grow in knowledge. We change in skill over time. We know and we're able to do things at 40 that we didn't know. We weren't able to do at 14. And vice versa. We're able to do some things at 14 that we aren't able to do at 40. But God is not like that. He's totally different from us. You think about it. He's, he's omniscient, right? He knows all things, which means that God doesn't forget anything over time. We forget things over time. God never forgets. And God doesn't learn anything over time. We learn things over time, not God, because he has all knowledge at all times. God's omnipotent. He has all power, which means God doesn't weaken over time. We weaken over time, not God. 
nor does God strengthen over time. He doesn't strengthen because he has all power at all times. God is unchanging throughout time, which is really good news. Think about this. We don't ever have to worry about God changing for the worse. How horrible would that be if we didn't know what the creator of the universe was going to be like tomorrow? He might change for the worse. No, no, no. Who God is today, God will be tomorrow. He will not change for the worse, and God won't change for the better. And so you might think, well, why wouldn't we want him to change for the better? Well, here's why. Because if God were to change for the better in some way, that would mean God wasn't the best possible being in the first place, and he is. It's a good thing God can't get any better because he's the best, period. God is eternally glorious. He's perfect in all of his attributes at all times. He's just as perfect today as he was a billion years ago, and he'll be just as as perfect a billion years from now as he is today. God is eternally glorious. This is the God we're meeting with right now. This is an awesome thought. Now, that's just truth number one. Think about the implications of that, though. So if that's true, if God is eternally glorious, then think about the awesome, even alarming truths that flow from that. And they're here in Psalm 90. If God is eternally glorious, then truth number two, sin against God is eternally serious. So what Moses starts to do is he starts reflecting on the eternality of God, first six verses, and then he starts immediately reflecting on the frailty of sinful man in the next five verses. Look at verse seven. He says, unlike you, O God, we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. Why? Because you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Moses says, none of our sins are hidden from you, O God, and each of those sins is eternally serious. Do you think about what the psalm is teaching us about the seriousness of sin? This psalm is a potent reminder that sin robs us of life. Think about how serious this is. This psalm takes us all the way back to the very beginning of the world, Genesis 2 and 3, first sin in the world, when God created man and woman to live with him forever. Man and woman turned from God, sinned against God, which led in Genesis 3 and now reiterated in Psalm 90 verse 10 to toil and trouble as a result of sin. This is the way sin works. Any sin in our lives, it robs us of the life God has intended us to live. You just think about the context here in Psalm 90. Moses is wandering with the, wilderness, with the Israelites in the desert. The people of God, remember the history? They stood on the edge of the promised land. God said, take the land, I'm giving it to you. But they didn't trust God. They turned away from God. They disobeyed God. They sinned against God. And God said, as a result of your sin, an entire generation of you, every adult among you, from this age up, will wander in the wilderness until you die. An entire generation, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, missed out on the blessing of God because of their sin. So, Ladies and gentlemen, I urge you to see this in your life today and see how these words written thousands of years ago have huge ramifications for your life right now. Look at your life right now. Any sin that you are holding on to, particularly any secret sin that you're trying to hide, well, number one, to realize it's utter foolishness to try to hide your sin from an eternally omniscient God. You cannot hide it anything from him. And then too, to realize 
That sin is serious. It is, see it, it's robbing you right now of the life God has intended you to live. It's robbing you of the hopes and plans and dreams and peace and love and satisfaction that the God of the universe has designed for you to know. It's robbing you. Don't treat it lightly. It robs you of life and ultimately it results in death. Again, think about the context here. In the wilderness, for 40 years they wandered until every single one of those people passed away. Can you imagine that? Like every day, another death. Just funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral for 40 years. So it makes sense for Moses to reflect and write. Verse 7, we are brought to an end. Verse 9, our years come to an end. Verse 10, they're soon gone. Now think about it. Why is that? Why do we die? Why do our days pass away? Why are we so soon gone? In this room, why do we only have a relatively small number of years on this earth, whether it's 70 or 80, as the psalm mentions, or 17, like the mom and dad I spent time with this week whose precious teenage daughter died in a car accident. Like Stories like that represent around this room. Like Why do we have death in this world? Why do we experience such pain and hurt and heartache through death in this world? And the definitive answer the Bible gives is because of sin. We all die because we're all sinners. So God help us to realize how serious sin is. If, oh, if sin robs us of life and sin is what results in death, and then why do we treat it so casually in our lives? God, help us to realize you're eternally glorious and that any sin, one sin against you, is eternally serious. Which then leads to the third truth, even more sobering than the first two. You put it together, if God is eternally glorious and sin is eternally serious, then the wrath of God is eternally real. That's what Moses says. He repeats it over and over again. You just note, make a note or circle every time you see the reference, him reference wrath or anger. In these verses, verse seven, for we are brought to an end by your anger, O God, by your wrath, we are dismayed. Twice there, verse nine, for all our days pass away under your wrath. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That last verse, a question basically saying, God, if you are eternal in all of your attributes, then who can imagine the eternality of your wrath? Now, we're... we're Actually going to look next week at the wrath of God. I'm not sure I should mention that. Some might decide to skip next Sunday, but uh, I actually want to encourage you the other way. You, you don't want to miss next Sunday because if God's wrath is real, then we need to know what that means. It's total foolishness to ignore what that means if God's wrath is real. So be here next Sunday. We'll talk about what it means, but for today, just let this soak in. If God is eternally glorious, then that means all of his attributes are eternal. And if it's all of his attributes are eternal, and one of his attributes is wrath, then what attribute of God is eternal? His wrath 
is eternal. Along with other attributes, we'll talk about in just a second, but his wrath is everlasting, eternally real. When you think about when we see hell described in the word of God, it is never described as a temporary place. It's not described in temporary terms. You read Revelation 14, 19, 20. Every time hell is described, the Bible describes wrath as lasting. Here's the words it uses. Forever and ever. As if forever wasn't sufficient. Like that, that means the same thing, right? So why does it add and ever? It's like, don't miss the point. Like it never, ever, ever ends. Never stops for all of eternity. Jonathan Edwards used to speak with tears in his eyes when he described how he would talk about the torment of burning like a livid coal. Not, so follow this, not for an instant or for a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which people will realize that they are no closer to the end than when they first begun, and they will never, ever be delivered from that place. And I don't, I don't even know how to begin to comprehend that. But this is the word of God. Like, there is real eternal wrath awaiting sinners before a holy God. Which makes Moses' next words in Psalm 90 make all the more sense. He says, verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants, exclamation point. Have mercy. Then he says, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Oh, do you see the contrast here? So Moses has contemplated the eternal wrath of God. What does that lead him to do? It leads him to plead, to plead for the eternal love of God. He says, satisfy us with your steadfast love. That term steadfast love has said in Old Testament, that word steadfast literally means never ending, never failing, eternal love. So follow this. This is the fourth truth. If God is eternally glorious, that means sin is eternally serious and the wrath of God is eternally real. But praise God, that's not the only truth because if all these things are true, then don't miss this, then that means the salvation of God is eternally satisfying. The mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God is eternally satisfying for all who turn from sin and trust in God which is only possible through the Gospels. This is where Psalm 90 just points us forward to Christ, to knowing that this eternal God that we're talking about is eternally glorious, has made a way for you and I as sinners to be saved from the eternal consequence of our sin. This eternal God has sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus has lived the life none of us could ever live, a life with no sin. And though, then, though he did not deserve to die, because he had no sin, he chose to die on the cross for our sin. He chose to bear the wrath we deserve. And then he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. So that anybody in this room and other campuses, anybody throughout history who turns from sin and trusts in Christ will be saved from all your sin and satisfied in God. It's the greatest news in all the world. <laughs> This is the gospel. This is what has power to change lives. This, has, this is what has power to change those addicted to crack. And the same message has power to save you. No matter where you are or what you've done, this 
gospel has power to save you from your sin. That you might be satisfied in God. You, despite all you've done, might be satisfied in God. The salvation of God. And not just satisfied in God now, but satisfied in God forever. And ever. The salvation of God is eternally satisfying. Oh, you just think about, think about, think about heaven with me for a minute. So if we're talking about hell, let's think about heaven for a minute. Like, I think many Christians have a view of heaven that, if we're honest, is pretty boring. Like for all of eternity, are we really just going to sit around singing on clouds? Like forever and ever? And if that's what you think, I have good news for you. So heaven is not a never-ending choir practice in the clouds. It's not what the Bible teaches. Well, heaven is a physical place where we will dwell with each other before God. And there's a lot of things we don't know, but this we do know. So this is the essence of heaven. For all of eternity, we're going to enjoy more and more and more goodness in God. That's, that's the picture of heaven. We're, we're with God, enjoying his goodness forever. Think about it. If God is eternally glorious, and that means his goodness is eternal, which means a thousand years from now, there will be still more goodness to explore and enjoy. And 10,000 years from now, still more. 10 billion years from now, still more. Like never ending. Which means our joy will increase in him more and more and more and more throughout all of eternity. There will never be an end to more and more and more joy in God. This is so different. Like, have you ever enjoyed something for a while? But then after a while, I mean, really enjoy it. But then after a while, it starts to get old. Not as enjoyable. I think about my kids. The, the, no, 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 my kids, that's not what I think. No, stop, stop, that's, ah. Just as that comes out of my mouth, guys, that's not what I meant. Oh, no, no, no. I think it's a, uh, an example in my kids' lives. That's what I meant to say. Thanks. Uh, all right, so back up. Man. Uh, so I think about an example in my kids' lives. Uh, so they get a new toy, and they're like, this is amazing. And they play with it all the time for about a week. <laughs> then they're like, can I get a new toy? I'm like, you just got that other toy? They say, yeah, but I'm kind of tired of it. And I mentioned kids here, but we're the same way as adults, right? And we run after this or that. We're constantly on the quest for the newer the nicer, the better. But, but the reason why we do that is because everything in this world eventually fades. But not God. Amen. He never fades. He's eternal. So ladies and gentlemen, you can mark it down. You will never, ever, ever be bored by an eternally good God. I want to read you, I want to read you a quote. Uh, it's, it's a pretty thick quote from a pretty thick book. So this book, uh, Stephen Sharnock wrote a book called Discourse on the Eternity of God. And it would take most of eternity to read this book. It's so thick. But I remember when I came across this quote, I think, I thought, I wish I would have written that. That is such a good quote. So just try to follow it here. So Sharnock says, when we enjoy God, 
We enjoy him in his eternity without any flux. Time is fluid, but, after it, but eternity is stable. And after many ages, the joys will be as savory and satisfying as if they had been but that moment first tasted by our hungry appetites. When the glory of the Lord shall rise upon you, it shall be so far from ever setting that after millions of years are expired, as numerous as the sands on the seashore, the sun and the light of whose countenance you shall live shall be as bright as at the first appearance. He will be so far from ceasing to flow that he will flow as strong, as full, as at the first communication of himself in glory to the creature." God is always vigorous and flourishing, a pure act of life, sparkling new and fresh rays of life and light to the creature, flourishing with a perpetual spring and contenting the most capacious desire, forming your interest, pleasure, and satisfaction with an infinite variety without any change or succession. He will have variety to increase delights and eternity to perpetuate them. This will be the fruit of the enjoyment of an infinite and eternal God. I don't think I'm good enough to write that, but that, just picture it. All of eternity will just give God a variety of time to show you more and more and more delight in Him. And it'll never, ever, ever end. Because God is eternal, our delight in Him will be eternal. Our lives will be marked by infinite enjoyment of Him. It's an awesome truth. How does that change our lives then today? I, just think about it. I challenge you then. That's, these things are true. I challenge us. Massive implications based on Psalm 90. Brother, sister, if these things are true, then live today for what's going to last forever. Now Psalm 90 verse 12, right in the heart of this chapter, makes sense. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When you know God is eternal and you know your time is limited on earth, then you make each day count for what's going to matter in eternity. All of a sudden, you realize, oh, this changes everything. You realize how much money you make doesn't really matter. What you do with the money you make is what matters. All of a sudden you realize that the people around you are far more important than the things on your to-do list. You realize that as parents of kids, teenagers, the most important thing in your children's lives is not the clothes they wear or the sports they play or even the grades they get. What's most important is that they know God. You realize that in your own life, Knowledge of God, obedience to God are far more important than achievements you accomplish or positions you attain. Those things pale in comparison to the knowledge of God. All of a sudden, you realize, think about it, think about this. Change your perspective. When you realize every person in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in this city, around the world, every person you see this week is either headed to an eternal everlasting heaven or an eternal everlasting hell. And the only difference is what those people do with Jesus. So that leads you to speak about Jesus. You tell people about Jesus. You live today for what lasts forever. And challenge you this week, live for what's going to last forever. And as you do, do it with hope. So this is the beauty. Uh, in a world of sin and suffering, in the words of Psalm 90, 10, toil and trouble, you live with hope. How do you do that? Amidst all the pain in this world, one story I heard just right before we came to this worship gathering. Another uh, friend that I just found out right before I was coming to this worship gathering is in surgery right now. Like, in a world of toil and trouble, 
How do you live with hope? Here's how. You hold on to hope because you know, Christian, you know that God is your home. So this is, this is the beauty of verse one and light everything that comes after that. So Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Think about Moses. He's writing this, wandering in the wilderness from place to place to place to place. He didn't have a home. So he looked up to heaven and he says, God, you're my home. You're my home now and you're my home forever. And I just, I, I read that as I'm praying this week, praying for you for even this moment, knowing that there are people all across this room that life has treated with pain and sorrow, trial and trouble. Some of you there right now. If so, I just want you to hear this good news. For everyone who trusts in Christ and what he did at the cross, you can know this. Sorrow, trial, pain, trouble in this world are temporary. Your pain, your sorrow, your trials, your trouble will not last forever. How do you know that? Here's how you know that. The eternal God of the universe loves you. And he has promised to show himself strong, merciful, and satisfying on your behalf. And he has promised there's coming a day when sin and sorrow will be no more, when trial and trouble will be no more. There's coming a day when this eternal God will personally wipe every tear from your eye. And his love for you will never, ever, ever end. Neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if that's true, then I, 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 I implore you, if you have never trusted the love of God in Christ, if you're here today, you're not a follower of Christ, you've not put your faith in Christ, I invite you today, put your faith in Christ. Cast yourself on the mercy of God. You're a sinner before an eternally holy God. You need his mercy. He is offering his mercy. Turn and trust in him today. Let today be the day where you put your faith in Jesus. And when you do, and for all who have, rest in this, know this, nothing can separate you from the love of this eternally glorious God. So what we're going to do in light of that is in just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing to this God. We're going to praise this God for his eternally satisfying love toward us, the love that never, ever stops. We're going to do that here in this room and other campuses. We're all going to sing about the never failing, never ending love of an eternal God. So let, let me pray for us. Oh God, we enter into this time of response. We have heard your word. We've listened to your word. We've seen your glory in a, a fresh way. Just seen your eternal nature. And we say, oh God, we need your mercy. We need your mercy and we praise you for giving it to us. We praise you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins, for taking the wrath we deserve, for making it possible for us to stand now and sing about your love for us. So we do that with joy, with hope. And in light of all the circumstances represented around this room and other campuses, things we're walking through in life, we say we need your love and we praise you for pouring it out on us. And we praise you for the promise that it will never, ever, ever end. 
In Jesus' name we pray and we sing and worship now. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, you can find thousands of free gospel-equipping resources at Radical.net. And thanks to everyone who has subscribed to our latest podcast, Pray the Word with David Platt. If you haven't checked out Pray the Word, it's a three to five minute daily devotional where David chooses a text, walks through that text, and then helps us to pray according to that text. You can find Pray the Word in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us over at Radical.net.